0: As we get started, I thought it would be helpful to kind of review where we've been for the last several weeks as we've been talking about an uncomfortable Christmas. The first week, I I started out by just talking about what it means to be uncomfortable. And I think that for many of us, the Christmas season is unsettling and uncomfortable. Maybe you're here and and you're experiencing some financial difficulties. Maybe you're going through right now you you you've lost a loved one in the last year or two years and this season is is hard on you. Maybe maybe you're going through some relationship issues. There's some distance that's grown between you and maybe your spouse or somebody you love, maybe a friend, maybe a mom or dad. And in this season you might even feel alone. But I I believe that it's really in the middle of, of this that we start to see a paradox of how we deal with comfort. This is really important to kind of see in who we are and how we navigate life. See, I, th- I think when it comes to comfort, most of us live with comfort as our goal. I want to get a little bit bigger house, a little bit nicer car. I'd like to have a little bit more money in the bank. Then I would feel comfortable. But it's, it's hard to think about comfort as a goal. If I were to ask many of you, what are your goals for the next year? What do you want to accomplish? Most of them will require various stages of discomfort. See, I believe that in our spiritual life, we need to realize that God uses uncomfortable seasons in a profound way. It's impossible to live by faith and chase comfort at the same time because faith is inevitably opposed to comfort it makes us uncomfortable faith leads us into places that are opposed to the the ways of this world and i believe that as we learn to love the life that Jesus has, we grow comfortable being uncomfortable because that's really for many of us. See, we long for comfort, but here's the paradox of comfort, that we often look back and see that our most profound moments were born out of discomfort. They were uncomfortable. It was the season where someone in your family experienced a diagnosis. It was the season of separation and distance and trauma in a relationship. It was those things that eventually led to growth in you personally. See, the, the story of Christmas is really uncomfortable very, very uncomfortable when we get into the components of the story that God birthed in the first century. But I believe the best stories are born from uncomfortable settings. That would be you, that would be me, all of us. We come from places that are uncomfortable, but it's out of those places where things are not comfortable that the greatness of God is shown the best. See, greatness is, is typically born from challenge and adversity in unlikely settings. And that's the, the setting of the Christmas story. The setting of the Christmas story was uncomfortable. If if you take a moment and just kind of think through the the setting of the Christmas story, it's a first century, uh, first century. Uh, Roman had, had ro- the Roman Empire had had conquered Judea. They they basically functionally kept the the people enslaved. Uh, they were living under King Herod, who was a tyrannical leader. I mean, he was obsessed with power, obsessed with his legacy. It's a a difficult setting, but out of that setting, an amazing story emerge. And we're going to continue today to look at the elements of the Christmas story and look at how they're uncomfortable. But, but before we get started, I just want to uh, kind of share a story. It's a little funny story. It's a little bit of a joke. Um, if you know our family, um, so this year instead of, of doing uh, the the letters, to, anybody do letters to Santa? It's really all you're doing is just hijacking your kids to, so you can figure out what they want for Christmas, right? Let's write a letter to Santa and this so this year we decided, maybe maybe twist it up a little bit, and we said, well, let's write letters to Jesus. It's Jesus' birthday. I'd love for you to write a letter. Let's tell him what you want, and then then talk to him about your year. So I sat down with my son, Clay, who's our, our middle child, and, and, and Clay started writing. He wrote the stuff that he wanted this year, you know, like they do. You know, I, I Dad, I would like a, a brand new F-150. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, I don't know where kids these days come up with the stuff that they want. It's... So that's a whole year's salary. So I can't even. I can't. I mean, more than a year. For, I mean, this is not even possible. We can't pull that off. But you know, he writes down the things that he wants, and he probably would, would tell me something like, "Well, it's Jesus. He can make it happen." Um, so, so we're we're writing, and 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 then and then he start He writes down, um, "Jesus, I really think I deserve these because I've been a good boy all year." And he starts to think about that, and he and he and you can see him. He's a little puzzled. And so he he comes back and he he erases all year and he writes six months. I've been a good boy for six months. <laughs> he, he continues thinking about it a little bit more, and you can see he's just tremendously puzzled. And he and he comes and he erases few, and he writes a few weeks. I <laughs> was good for a few weeks. And before before long, I mean he's he, you can see him. He's thinking through it, and a tear kind of comes in his eye, and he, he erases the whole sentence. And he looks around the room, and we have, we have a little manger scene in our in our living room, which really the youngest one just destroys every day. That's, I think that's the only reason why we have the manger scene. And so my son Clay walks over, and he stands in front of the manger scene, and he grabs Mary, and he walks back, and he's holding on to Mary, and he begins to write, Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again. <laughs> oh, man. That's so not true. But here is Clay this morning. Uh, they're home sick with, uh, with uh, my wife who's taking care of them this week, and he's got Mary captive this morning. Uh, I actually asked him, I told him that story. I said, Clay, do you mind if I tell this story about you? I know I'm just making it up. And he's like, Dad, when did that happen? It's like, it didn't happen. That's the whole point of that. Oh, man. I, I, I want to talk to you about the uncomfortable characters that are in the Christmas story. And I want to start with Mary, actually. Mary is a remarkably uncomfortable character in the Christmas story. And we're going to go to uh, Luke chapter 1, which is when we're examining the narrative, this is the first point that Mary emerges. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, here's the tension. How will this be? Mary asked. I'm a virgin. Well, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I love how Mary responds. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left here. I, I want to spend a few moments just talking about the, the, the character of Mary. We're gonna go through these different characters that are in the Christmas story, but let's start with Mary. I, I think you need to know some background information about Mary. Most scholars believe that Mary's young. I mean, really young somewhere placed between around 14 and 16 years old. So let's just be honest. Let's let's put her at the top end of that spectrum and say she's 16. All right, it's uncomfortable. I, I don't even trust a 16-year-old girl to drive a car on the road with me and my kids, much less carry the birth and birth the Messiah into the world. But somehow God looked on Mary and saw something. And there's a, a lot to be said about her character and nature and the way that she was willing Because think about this. Mary Mary isn't married. And in the first century, to not be married and show up pregnant was not, I mean, it's a big deal in our culture. It was a huge deal in her culture. It could have led to sentencing and trial and even execution. Right? This is a major, major liability in this story. But it's further complicated in the fact that Mary has made a confession in this story as it's recorded. And, and I just want you to hear this. I mean, a lot of times we read the, the, the Christmas story and we go, well, you know, it's the first century. You know, She said she was a virgin, but what, what did, I mean, is that really what it was? Let me just say, the, the gospel of Luke is written by a doctor. He was a physician. Okay, And while in the last 2,000 years, there have been a lot that's changed in medicine, 2,000 years ago, they still knew what caused babies. Okay, They still did. And this is the physician that's recording that she was a virgin. There's so much tension in this story. And I think because of the complexity of what Mary was willing to leverage for the kingdom of God, in some faith traditions, Mary takes on a very different posture. as a matter of fact, some some believe that that Mary now sits and reigns as the the queen of heaven. There are some faith traditions that pray to Mary, but but I want you to see Mary in the right light because Jesus would actually address this. in Luke uh, chapter chapter eleven, Jesus is teaching, okay? He's teaching, and then all of a sudden, Somebody interrupts his teaching and yells out. And if you're a teacher and you teach in a classroom, you know, like your train of thought's important and you want to kind of stay on track. And somebody blurting out, that's just hard. That's why kids get wrote up and sent to the principal's office when they blurt out. But this woman blurted out something that's not too terrible. She yelled out, blessed be your mother and the person who nursed you when you were young. Which I think many of us would go, yeah, my mom's awesome, right? That's how we would respond. But Jesus said, no, no. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. He deflected all praise and adoration away from his mother to the kingdom of God and what God was doing through him in the hearts of people. Jesus wouldn't let his mother become an object of worship we don't need to let his mother become an object of worship either. But what we do need to do is put her in the right place. All right, She's an amazing woman who makes an amazing decision and teaches us some really valuable lessons. So I want to point out two of those. The first one is that God cares more about your character than your comfort. God cares more about your character than he does your comfort. This is a really uncomfortable decision. It's a really uncomfortable invitation from the angel. But God is at work in her to do something that is building something in her, literally as the baby grows, and building something in her character. You see, Mary was willing to sacrifice everything, to risk everything, to just simply say yes to God. Yes, God, I'll do what you're asking. I know it could cost me my life. I know it could cost me my husband. I know it could cost me my future. But God, if this is what you want, I'll say yes. And because of that, she was used powerfully. See, I think as we look at the stories that emerge in life, the greatest characters have the greatest character. And a lot of times we we look at kind of where we are in life and we say, but there's nothing big happening in my life right now. There's nothing monumental that I've been, that I'm working on. Well, right now what's happening in every season of your life, God is developing your character for the next season of your life. See, your setting is a setup to develop your character so that you can step into a divine appointment that God has waiting for you in your future. It's a set up, not a setback. And though this looks so difficult for Mary, God was at work in this series. And, and I believe that when we look at her heart to just say, yes, God, whatever. I believe that's the kind of heart that God wants in us. Yes, God, whatever you want. I'll do whatever you want. It'll cost me whatever you want it to cost me, God. I will give you my life. But character development in in, in our hearts, that's not easy. As a matter of fact, it's quite difficult. It takes a lot of work. And so I want to remind you of a a verse that I've referenced frequently recently, Zechariah 4.10. Don't despise humble beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Though you might be in a humble season, I believe that there is work to do. And a lot of times that work is uncomfortable, but that work is cultivating within you a character that will allow you to step into the next season of your life. I believe the second thing that we see in the character of Mary is that God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies those he calls. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those that he calls. See, if you would have lined people up and said, where is the most likely place that the Messiah will emerge? I promise you it was not a 16-year-old girl from Nazareth who had to travel all the way to Bethlehem and then didn't have any relationships that were so substantive that when they got there that they would allow them to stay in a house. She had to stay in somebody's barn. I mean, think about that. There she is in a really, really uncomfortable situation, but God saw something in Mary that we couldn't see in the natural. And I promise you, that God sees something in you. And when you start to heed the call that God has put on your life, you might step into things that are uncomfortable. And you might even be saying, there's no way that I should be able to do this. God, I don't know how I'm going to get to do that. But here's the thing. When God calls you, he gives you the qualifications because he alone is God. See, a lot of times we, in our worldly thinking, we think that we can earn the calling of God by getting all the pedigrees in line. Let me get this right, and this right, and this right. And that's not how it works. If you look back through Scripture, it wasn't the people who had everything right. As a matter of fact, Samuel shows up to anoint the next king. And he walks into Jesse's house. And every person who looked like they should have been the next king wasn't the one. He had to send for David out in the field. God brings David in and he speaks through Samuel and says, Samuel, men look to the outward appearance, but God looks to the heart. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those. That he calls, but that's not the only uncomfortable character in this story. As a matter of fact, I think Joseph is remarkably uncomfortable. The other character in our nativity scene that's hovered over the baby Joseph or the baby Jesus, it's it's Joseph. Some background on on Joseph, just so you can know. Uh, Joseph is engaged to be married to to Mary. Now, now, there's a lot more complexities that go into that than a modern-day engagement. Uh, He would have had to spend time with her family, arrange a dowry. Having paid that dowry, he would then go back to his home and begin to work to prepare a place for her so that he could bring her back. When the time came that he had got his affairs in order, his house was ready to her. He would go back to the father. They would arrange a wedding. It would happen. And then he would bring her home. So the, the way that this works is the contract has already been made. They've already agreed that Mary is going to marry Joseph, but they're in the betrothal period where they're waiting for him to get his affairs in order so that he can bring her into his life. And we know that Joseph was a good guy. We know that he loved Mary because when he finds out that she's pregnant, he doesn't want to bring public disgrace on her. He wants to dismiss this quietly. Because they're in the betrothal period, he could have went to a priest and the priest could have said, we'll dismiss this. No longer bound to the contract because they had yet to consummate their relationship. Joseph planned to do that. Just going to be quiet. I don't want to disgrace her. And we know that the scriptures tell us in Matthew 1:19 that Joseph loved Jesus. And he was he was a faithful follower of the law. He wanted to do what's right. He wanted the right things to come up. And so there's this tension that's going on. And he's made these plans. I'm going to divorce her quietly. But we see in Matthew chapter 1. What happens with Joseph? But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph walk, woke up, he did just what the angel of the Lord had commanded he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she had given birth to a son. And he gave, notice he gave them the name Jesus. He gave him. I think there's a couple things that we can learn from this uncomfortable character in the Christmas story. And the first thing is that God won't spare you from uncomfortable circumstances. It doesn't mean that God creates uncomfortable circumstances or that he causes them. We spent a little bit of time dealing with that last week about how God can take things that were negative. And many of us know that right now our our lives are a lot better than we deserve. And so we're living in a lot of grace. And a lot of times the stuff that's not real good actually happens because we weren't so good. And so a lot of times we, we look at that, but God takes all of those things and works them together for our good. But God's not going to keep you from things that are uncomfortable. We might want to be comfortable, but God knows that there are seasons of our life where being uncomfortable is the best thing for us. In Romans 8, 32, the scriptures describe him as a God who wouldn't spare his own son. He knew that for us to be made right with God, It was going to take his son dying. And this is a God who wouldn't spare his own son so that we might be made right with God. See, God will use uncomfortable circumstances to change you. He will use uncomfortable circumstances to change you. He will use seasons of financial distress. He will use seasons where your health is in doubt. He will use seasons where you have relationship difficulties. He will use seasons to change you. There is a purpose in the pain when you deal with God. There's a purpose in it. And because of that, he doesn't... Keep us from it because he knows that it will produce in us a harvest of righteousness. It's a good thing for us. The second thing that I want you to see that we see in the life of Joseph is that uncomfortable situations are opportunities for radical obedience. Radical obedience. Nobody would have faulted Joseph if he would have went to a priest and said, I I just need, she's pregnant, I want to honor her, but I can't marry her. Nobody would have faulted him for that. Nobody would have looked at that situation and said, you're a bad guy. But Joseph chose to be radically obedient, radically obedient obedient to step in and do something that everybody around the few people who kind of knew the story are going, what in the Joseph, but she was, she was pregnant. Did you know? Yeah, I know that. But God, God told me that this is the woman to marry. And I know that it is, it it doesn't make sense to me either, but I am going to be obedient even when it doesn't make sense. Isn't that what faith is? Like being obedient when things don't make sense. And there he was. And and think about what happened. Joseph is the one to give him the name of Jesus. That's, That's the command of God through the angel. And you will name him Jesus. And he becomes Jesus, and later on we find out that at the feet of Jesus, everyone will bow. At the name of Jesus, every spirit is commanded to see. Jesus takes authority over the, that name has power, and that name came from a father who wasn't really the father who chose to be radically obedient to God. As a matter of fact, think about this. Radical obedience leads obedience leads to radical rewards. We, in an effort to really not characterize the nature of God the way that it has been in the past, sometimes we don't talk about rewards. But we know that Scripture tells us over and over again that the, that the reward is, is there in our obedience. That doesn't mean that, that the reward is I'm obedient radically and all of a sudden a big check shows up in my mailbox. As a matter of fact, I believe it, most of the rewards that God points us to are eternal rewards. Ephesians would say that we're storing up treasures in heaven in our obedience. But radical obedience leads to radical reward. This is an uncomfortable circumstance. But Joseph chooses to step into that discomfort, to lean into it, and to be radically obedient. And because of that, the world is remarkably blessed for who he was. But see, there are a few characters that are in the Christmas story that are really, really uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, the more that I've studied the Scripture that I'm about to show you, I honestly believe that we're going to bring this back next year as our Christmas series. There's some characters that kind of go off the map that we we don't necessarily see in our Christmas pageants and plays, but we see them in a picture of Christmas that we find in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12. Now just to kind of set this up, you need to understand... What's going on? The the Apostle John, who is Jesus' best friend, has been exiled. And his his punishment for preaching the good news, he's been sent to live on an island. And there he has a remarkable experience with God. He has a series of visions. At the very first part of the book, these are visions that were speaking to churches that were in existence in his day, some that he had been very involved in. And there are... It's kind of the series of visions that John would later record to share. And in Revelation 12, we see the uncomfortable Christmas that nobody wants to talk about. Beginning in verse 1, a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared. This is a vision that he's having. Then another sign appeared, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. And all that language is referencing to a few passages in the book of Daniel. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. And look at what happens next. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter, direct quote from Psalm 2, and her child was snatched up to God to his throne. You see, there's an uncomfortable character in the story of Christmas. Christmas a character that we don't like to talk about and that many times we don't see as a character in our story as well. John would go on in the next few verses to out that character as the devil, the red dragon that was there to murder the Son of God as he was born. If you read through the Christmas story, you'll see that from the moment Jesus came into this world, all of the worldly forces were opposed to him to try to take him out. And so I want to give you a few observations about this. And the first one is this. The story of Christmas is a story of war. It's a story of war. See... In war, there there are different sides. We we might, if we're on the one particular side, we might call it the good side and the bad side. It doesn't really. There, there's a lot of ways that you can describe that, but it doesn't matter what side you're on. In war, there's always an enemy. And what's hard for many of us in this room to realize is that from your birth. You've been in a war. From your birth, you were engaged in a war that you cannot see. And though you may not be able to identify him or to categorize him, you definitely have an enemy that wants to destroy the life that God wants to build in you. That enemy is described in 1 Peter 5. Look at this. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. This is uncomfortable, but it's real. Jesus said "the the thief, the enemy, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it to its fullest. There, there's an enemy that wants to steal and kill and destroy the life that God is birthing within you. See, Christmas is a story of war and a lot like D-Day when thousands of American and British troops crossed the English Channel and invaded the Nazi-occupied France on Christmas. On Christmas, the good guys invaded. Christmas is a story of war, and then number two, Christmas flipped the story because Jesus changes everything. The the narrative of history flipped at the birth of Jesus. Time is divided by his birth. It is B.C., before Christ, and Anto Domine, the year of our Lord. All divided around the birth of our Savior Jesus. The story before was let's try to be good enough, and the story now is he was good enough. The story before was, I'm going to try to earn my way into favor. And the story now is that there is grace so that you can experience the favor of God. Before it was, let me try to adhere to a system of laws. And now it's the law has turned into the word of God, which is alive inside of you. It flipped the story because Jesus changes everything. Everything. See, when we needed him, the most Jesus our hero came to us that's what Christmas is all about about a God who won't stay away when we need him a God who comes near to us John would put it this way at the very beginning of his gospel in John chapter 1 the true light that gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to all who did receive him, to every person who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. Pay attention to what John says here. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This is what Christmas is all about. A Savior who would come to earth Knowing that a sacrifice had to be made, who was born so that he could become that sacrifice, who who lived perfectly, who became something we could never become, and then gave us something we could never get. It's in the power of that moment that we see what Christmas is all about. This is the gift we've been chasing for decades. This is the peace that surpasses all understanding. And this is the joy that was heralded as good news to all people. And it's good news to you. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, We encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.